And welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. In addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. The podcast of tonight's show is usually uploaded the following day by noon. And every Thursday, a small crew of local pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, Aylmer and Hunter, here in Peterborough at 5 p.m. for an informal gathering, whereat we talk about all things political. All are welcome. Please join us. We post on Twitter, at Bill Temp, and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Joining me tonight in the studio is our panel. First of all, Guy Hanchett, chair for our grandchildren, member of the Citizens Climate Lobby. Gian Broughton, recently candidate for the Green Party of Ontario in the uh, recent provincial election. Trish Clarkson, freelance writer, journalist, uh, non-profit uh, fundraiser, organizer, and climate change activist. And Peter Morgan, local activist for Save PDI and most recently Peterborough Alliance for Climate Action. Welcome all. Thank you for being here. Uh, this morning, as I was uh, getting ready to start my day and... Uh, CBC Radio was on, and uh, the morning program played a little spot on what communities can do to prepare for extreme weather. It was, uh, what's her name, Wei Chen, and uh, her guest was talking about various communities in Peterborough, they even, are in Ontario, they even mentioned Peterborough, that are depaving and installing rain gardens. And, uh, you know, given that we were doing the show there, and I was quite interested in that, how much does that sort of action matter? Uh, This is Peter speaking. I think it matters a lot, but on its own, it can't solve the problems that we're going to face. People are doing a lot of things to act in a green manner out there. It affects the way that they use transportation, the kind of heating they have for their house, how how much they're going to fly, whether they compost. All these kinds of things are important, but ultimately... The big deals have to be done at the federal and provincial level, and that's where we really should be addressing a lot of our concerns. In the next election, we have to get our prime minister to take more dramatic action to limit carbon emissions, and we have to get our provincial government to do something rather than nothing, and that's all they're doing right now. Right. Now, what are the most important physical actions? We'll start on that level. And, you know, in the exchange of emails we had prepping for this evening, uh, I think, Jan, you brought up the point that uh, voting is also an action. Uh, Who we we put into power at all levels uh, of government is also an action. But what are the most important physical actions our municipal government, let's start there, can take to convert to a low-carbon, low-pollution way of life? Um, Sure, there's a Trisha. Um, first of all, we need to. The, the, our municipal government needs to um, update their the Peterborough Community Climate Change Action Plan um, to reflect the um, International Panel on Climate Change uh, scientific facts and warnings that recently came out in October um, uh, that indicate that uh, we need to. Um, we only have 12 years to reduce carbon fuel emissions by 45% to keep global warming temperatures to no more than 1.5 degrees. Um, so the current uh, climate change action plan now says that, that they have over the next 20 or more years to do this. Um, that definitely needs to be addressed. And um, the city needs to uh, to update uh, 
the um, according to other cities the size um, what they can do and um, that that includes um, uh, adding more um, electric vehicles uh, to the uh, city city vehicles uh, trucks and uh, buses uh, go by other communities this size and see what they've done um, and uh, thoroughly understand it, that it needs to be done quickly. Well, if I could ask, um, who really has it together, hopefully in Ontario or at least in Canada? Are there any communities you're aware of that are could be role models for us? Sure, Jen. I think that crisis is a wonderful opportunity for community building. And mm. the, um, the fact that Peterborough is facing... Uh, housing crisis and an opiate overdose crisis actually gives us an opportunity to say, how can we respond to these crises in a way that also responds to the climate change crisis? Let's build these new um, affordable housing units that we need at net zero. And let's use the expertise we have at Fleming and Trent to really make that happen. Let's make that a model for the country as to how a community can come together, find funding sources and resources within their community to really meet their community's needs while reducing their emissions. Now, we, we do have a new city council, and so, or we will have on December 3rd, if our new council uh, was so benevolent as to ask us as citizens what actions the city should take, what should we suggest? I would, I would say that they should, first thing they should do is take the current climate change action plan as it was introduced into council and say, take out the clause that says we will implement this as budget re- allows. Because right now it says as budget allows, which as far as I'm concerned are weasel words that allow them to do nothing. We need to get the, them to pass bylaws that actually put budget allocated to right. to implementing new plans in the Climate Change Action Plan. And as Peter said, the Climate Change Action Plan for, Peter, for, for Peterborough isn't nearly strong enough. It's n- nowhere near as good as, as what other cities are doing. Vancouver is a real, really good model. They've committed to going to having complete control, complete zero emissions power grid by, I forget the date, 2030 or something like that. They're going to go to zero emissions. They're going to have all of their power supplied by non-emitting uh, sources of energy. Burlington, Vermont has already done that. A population of 42,000, they've got zero. They've got a river flowing through their city just like we have. They've got power dams that allow them to generate all the electricity they need. Mm. Some of it also comes from recycling wood pellets. They manage to take recycled wood pellets so people have leftover furniture. They drive it down to this place. They burn it there. We can we can do the same here. We have to dream much bigger than we've dreamt so far. We've got a, a, a target in ours, which, as opposed to what the IPCC says, is just pales into insignificance. It's like we had to fight to get them to accept to have something like a third, a 28 percent or 21 percent target by 2031, and we need to have 40 percent by 2031. Right. Peter. The targets we need to achieve are unambiguous according to the IPCC report that came out about three weeks ago. We have to reduce emissions by 45% in 2030. It's only 30% right now is the Canadian goal. And, and we have to eliminate carbon emissions entirely or at least come to a net zero situation by 2050. It's this that council should keep in mind. Incrementalism is not going to be a sufficient approach to changing, to saving our, the climate that we even have right now. We have to take more dramatic actions. One thing that strikes me in Peterborough, 
for example, that we can do is that we should encourage more bicycling and more walking. This is a city that, for the most part, draw, most part uh, where people drive everywhere they go. Uh, I know this because I drive, but I also walk a lot and I bike a lot. I might bike around the city in, uh, first thing in the morning and see 10 bikes in 45 minutes, and that's about it. And walking downtown, I live about a mile from down or a kilometer and a half from downtown, I can walk all the way downtown with seeing somebody, passing somebody on the way. We, the council has to educate about climate change and encourage us to change our ways and make it seem like not only a hardship, but something that will improve our community, a way of uh, getting to know each other better as we create a greener climate. Yes, now I know a few avid winter cyclists, and I am not one of them. I'm, I'm going to try this year. <laughs> um, Tegan Moss at uh, Bike and, and Peter Laurie, who, who's a colleague out at, at Fleming, both have made the point that, well, Cycling is great, but for three or four months of the year, we have snow. So how about making a priority out of plowing the, the bike paths we have? Because my understanding is Peterborough isn't bad as far as bike paths go. In the rideable weather, in the warm weather, we can get around the city fairly well. Not, not, I mean, there's room for improvement for sure. But in the winter, when they're covered with snow, they seem to stay covered with snow. So a small that sounds pl- pretty doable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what? Well, Jen, spinning off your your, your point, what what is the uh, what are the other sort of examples of low hanging fruit that wouldn't cost millions of dollars that the city and we as citizens could pull off together? Well, there's something already on the books which. Um has an awful name, but it's actually a really great uh, opportunity. I think you, some of you may have heard of the um, local improvement charge. It makes it sound like it's something that we pay for, but actually what it is is a tax holiday for improving your home. It's a great way to um, deal with uh, reducing the heating emissions that uh, you have to do. Mm. So this is something that a few municipalities in the province have taken up, and really everybody, all of the municipalities should be taking it up in um, with enthusiasm so that people are really encouraged to... Um, to reduce the heating emissions of their homes. And not, it's not just about homes, it's about businesses, and it's about public buildings. I understand that GreenUp has a sort of um, consulting service where people can get advice about the most effective things. Excuse me, could, could you just do a little sidebar? What is GreenUp? Uh, I understand that it's a, actually a city uh, program right. that is helping with implementation of the sustainability plan. Others can add more detail to that. But I understand that it, there's a big lineup to get onto their uh, schedule for these uh, consultancies. So let's give them some more staff and employ some of these wonderful people that we're training in this city. But it is a very important, uh, important and po- positive and likely to achieve good results program that's available to us. However, it's probable that Peterborough can't do it alone. It's probable that they need to have support from a higher level of either government or some kind of organization to be able to implement local improvement charges effectively here. I was on the phone just this week just this week with the fellow who's kind of guiding it from an organization called Cheerio, and he's, when I pushed him, he said, Peterborough shouldn't try to do this alone. He said, we have to get together with a higher level of, orga- of, of government in order to be able to make that effective. It's a great program. 
I learned, I first learned about it from the Welch Climate Change Commissioner, and I also mm. contacted him this week and asked what their experience was with doing this in, in England, and he wrote back and he said it was a complete failure. And I'm not going to go into the reasons why. I just take those his the failure that they had in the United Kingdom as ways that we have to do it better here, and we have to sell it better here, and we have to not make the mistakes that they made. But it's a wonderful program, and in fact, in the Climate Change Action Plan for Peterborough, they they identify we identify the lowest hanging fruit as existing buildings. Existing buildings need to be upgraded. Their their envelope needs to be upgraded. Their energy efficiency needs to be upgraded. And the the Climate Change Action Plan calls on. I think it results in about 1,100 houses per year have to be upgraded to uh, to about half their energy, to about twice as efficient as they are now, to about using about half as much energy as they do today. 1,100 per year to get to the point where we are. Can you imagine how many people have to be employed to do that? <laughs> I tried to do the calculation just last week, and I think I came to about 70 full-time employees, but it might be 210. I've asked some people to actually do a, a real a real calculation, do a real estimate of this, but it's significant. It's local... <laughs> jobs that are going to be that could be created by just that program alone now uh, i've been quite glibly talking about the city of peter what can we and we've been talking a lot about talking a lot about municipal government but what are the most important physical actions other institutions such as school boards utilities government ministries community groups the business community sports association so on take uh, the sports association is a tough one for a hockey fan as I, uh, I wrote last uh, last year in uh, Electric City magazine, that you know, when you consider what the NHL does, flying around to cities with palm trees to play a game on ice in <laughs> warm winters, doesn't make sense. But what about school boards? For example, the school boards are now into building these large centralized schools and busing kids for hours, uh, and they have their reasons, but. The neighborhood school that probably a few of us walked to when we were kids, no matter where we grew up, that's that's going. So what can we do around these long-range planning to uh, plan for clients to mitigate effects? Well, I think I think school boards can can get involved in in different ways. Other than that, I think I think with the um, the public awareness campaign, community engagement, um, it, it, we underestimate um, how much uh, our, our, our schools can do, our students can do, our teachers, staff, uh, to get engaged, uh, to um, incorporate climate change into part of their curriculum to educate the kids. Initially, I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought, well, these kids are too young. They're not going to vote for a while. What, you know, why, what, what, can, what can they do? But, you know, out of the mouths of babes comes great ideas. Uh, also, um, you can make it fun and have it as part of an essay writing contest, um, you know, a topic that they can submit and, and give their ideas to the, to, to the municipal to, to send in on a questionnaire that would be part of the uh, community engagement. Um, Give us your ideas. Uh, the best ideas win. Uh, the most ideas. The ones that, the, that we actually use. Um, offer prizes. Because nobody really likes being told what to do. They like to be listened to. And if we can engage everybody in the community and give them a voice, um, all ages, uh, and especially our um, environmental studies department at Trent, at Fleming, we are talking about retrofitting vehicles now and trucks and we can we can create a whole new program for that. I mean, there's just so much potential in the education system itself to participate in 
helping with ideas and getting them implemented because getting them implemented is is urgent right now. Peter, and I think there are initiatives out there that have been successful. Uh, they're in various stages of completion. I know in Toronto. Uh, it's faltered a bit, but I think it's going to go ahead at some point. On schools, they're renting out their roofs for mini windmills and for solar panels, and um, the, the, they're getting their roofs fixed because the funding formula as it stands right now doesn't allow for proper infrastructure maintenance in schools. And some uh, companies coming in, fixing the roof, and then also generating energy. This is something we could do for all of the facilities you mentioned, Bill, I think, is to get them to buy into generating energy with their facilities. One of the uh, things that this leads to is a talk of what kind of energy we're going to be using in the future and where it's going to come from. Already big businesses are starting to generate their own energy, and that means that places like Peterborough, once a, play, once a Walmart or uh, another large uh, store starts to generate its own energy, means that revenue is going to be lost to the provincial system of distributing energy. So we're going to have to figure out ways to survive without relying on the big uh, power mechanisms that come from nuclear, which we need, we're going to need for a while, and become more self-reliant. Now, that's another story I want to get into about PDI at some point. But uh, it relates uh, directly to your question in that, I think that businesses, any place that has a building can retrofit and also make their buildings open to uh, being uh, energy providers for the community, not just for their building, but for the community itself. As for kids, I know that they can take action as well as uh, do things within school. There's an eco-schools program in Toronto that I know of uh, where the kids – uh, do excellent recycling. They educate in the community. They go out as part of their work to educate in the community. They build gardens um, to uh, to refurbish uh, wastelands. Uh, they even uh, grow food. Uh, so kids are excellent advocates if you give them a chance uh, to promote a future, which, after all, uh, is the one that is most threatened, the future for people who are growing up in the next 20 years. These, sure, Guy. These are all perfect, great ideas, but I think it would be even more important to convince the, uh, the, federal, the provincial government to add climate change as part of the, officially as part of the curriculum. There are some really dedicated teachers out there who teach the kinds of things that uh, Peter was just talking about. One of them is Cam Douglas, who has formed a whole course for take, and he's taken kids out of out of grade 12, grade 11 and grade 12, and he's teaching them over on uh, over at Trent University. They're out of school for six months, for, for half this uh, half the school year, and learning about sustainable development and sustainability, and it's mostly about climate change. Right. But we need to put that as part of the actual curriculum, and it needs to be it needs to be there. And we've been, at, at the organization that I'm associated with for our grandchildren, we've been lobbying the provincial government for years to get them to add this to the curriculum, and they just keep refusing to it. All of the other things that Peter said about generating generating uh, uh, electricity on the top of your roof is really great. And you talk about sports. Up at uh, Bridge North, there's a, quite a success story there. They found a way to keep the ice in the ice hockey arena with a, I, I don't, I don't, I wish I knew the numbers. I'm not really very good about numbers, but they have a huge amount of savings on the energy that it takes to keep their ice in place compared to what they had in the past by by virtue of making it a different way. In the town where my sister lives, which is Renfrew, Ontario, no, it's not, it's Iron Prior, Ontario, they've got 
on top of their hockey rink, they have solar panels. It's completely covered with solar panels there. Right. We could do that here, too. Every, every building that the city owns should be covered with solar panels. Mm-hmm. PDI could be purchased mm-hmm. back from Hydro and be a, and be a perfect opportunity, give them a perfect opportunity to be mm-hmm. able to say, we'll set up pro- processes so that we can sell this, this, this power back into the grid. Aren't they getting a new, uh, uh, Estimate on some repairs to well, maybe they should just completely change the terms of reference and talk about making these kinds of things net zero energy generators. Well, that's what cities are doing. They're committing to be to reach a net zero situation by 2050. More and more cities are doing that. Even a city like New York is doing it. Uh, San Francisco has done that. Why can't Peterborough? Certainly. And, we, and the thing is, it's not just some idealistic goal. It's necessary. This is the uh, change of thinking that I hope we see in council, that they're not just trying to please some special interest groups, some environmentalists, but they're going to act for the future of the city, which will have a hard time if it doesn't make the adjustments necessary in the next 22 years. Now, for 32 lo- years. Sorry. Sure. Yeah. For, for local residents, uh, I know many of us take a number of personal actions in our efforts to convert to a low-carbon, low-pollution way of life. These would include cycling more, driving alternative fuel vehicles, if we can afford them, using public transit, recycling, insulating our homes, turning down our thermostats and wearing sweaters, etc. Do any of these personal actions, even diligently taken on a regular basis, matter? Well, you know, to me, you have to think about how did we get here? How did we get to the point where the Earth is warming? We got here one molecule of CO2 at a time. Mm. So every molecule of CO2 that you can stop yourself from emitting is going to make a difference. It may not be, it won't be measurable, but Mm. we got here one molecule at a time, and we have to go back in the same way we, we went, one molecule at a time. Everybody's contribution matters, but it matters way more if, as Peter said, the federal government has programs in place that encourage more people to take those those steps that we that you and you do bicycling around all the time. Well, I, I wonder if it's at times, you know, as I'm spending you know, 45 minutes a week recycling, or however long it takes me for Monday night in town ward. Um, do these matter, or, or am I just engaging in you know, obsessive behavior here? What are you gonna What are you gonna tell your kids? And your exactly. Exactly. If you don't do it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'd like to tell a little story about my grandchild. By the way, if I, if I can, it's really kind of cool. I've been driving around for a while with a with a bumper sticker on the back of my car that says "There is no Planet B," and he was um, I wasn't he was at home and his dad was talking about how much a tough time he had at work to his, to my to my daughter, and he and he was saying, you know, it's like a, it's like another world out there. And Sammy piped up and he said, no, Dad, there is no planet B. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So education, yeah. Trish, is so important. You know, getting the kids to, to understand this. It's too, it, we have to do it first, but we have yeah. to get them. And they can convince their parents to be, yeah, exactly. to be on board with this stuff. And then no yeah. day will, will mean something when they, you know, be right. As previously, it was just a thing that, oh, well, you know, this is fun, but we're not, we don't all have to do it. And now, and now they can talk to their parents, and, and if they really get involved themselves about thinking about uh, reducing carbon fuel emissions. So, recycling and all that stuff is really important. It really matters, but there has to be more conversation around reducing carbon fuel emissions. And when, so, when their parents to go to drive them to work, they might just say, "Hey, hey, mom, I want to take my bike." Or, you know, once they're educated, once it comes into the school, once they participate, um, you know. 
write something that means something to send it somewhere that's going to maybe change their city or change you know a policy uh, that that's a big high self high self-esteem uh, motivator um, and I think it, it's really important in the schools. I mean, you know, my, my husband teaches English at Ottawa U. He, he creates topics for essays. Uh, this one could be a, a major topic for every class, every age, um, every person to get involved. What's your idea? What do you think we can do? And, uh, and, and, then, and then submit it. It's, uh, it's just a really important thing. Sure, Jim. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of room for innovation and uh, technological development in the line of waste reduction. Um, and I, if, on the federal and provincial level, we really need to stop investing in the fossil fuel sector and redirect that investment into uh, waste and, and remissions and emissions uh, reduction. Um, it's actually kind of depressing how little of the recycle stream gets dealt with locally. Um, mm. And you know, I had one of those really bad days when I learned that most of the plastic that goes into the recycle stream is actually shipped to China, which the whole point is to reduce how how far you're sending uh, stuff. And they're not taking it anymore. And, uh, yeah, they're not taking it anymore. So now is our chance to do the logical thing. Vancouver's uh, producing their, using their own plastic. They have, they have plants that, uh, that... It's not hard. There, yeah. If they could do it in China, they could do it here. Sure. The flip side of what you're saying, Jian, too, is that we have to change how we consume. I think uh, probably Canadians and Americans are the biggest creators of garbage on the planet. We buy so many things that we don't need in packages. They get thrown out immediately. In plastic bags, they get one use. Um Really, it's a different way of thinking that's required here. I'm I'm heartened to see that I think it's Gary Baldwin has said that he's going to put a motion before council to get rid of plastic bags. Uh, other companies, uh, businesses are on their own deciding not to offer straws any longer. Um, and, of course, we've all been frustrated by buying bags that are about four times as big as the product inside. Uh, there's no need for that. Uh, we can, you know, one to one little thing I'm doing now when I go out to eat, I take my own recyclable container to take any leftovers with. So I've used one of those about 50 times now rather than getting the styrofoam that costs uh, some money to recycle. There really are a lot of things. I saw a great, I read a great article by uh, the British writer George Mombiot, uh, sort of a, in preparation for Christmas asking people not to buy gimmick presents for people that will make you laugh one day and get thrown into the closet the next. Think a little bit more carefully when you make gifts for people. I know it can be hard, but if you can't think of a good gift, then donate to some worthy cause, and then your gift will be a piece of paper rather than a chunk of plastic that will take hundreds of years to degrade. Yeah, my, my wife has taken up knitting. It's, you know, we're, we're kind of old for, for something like that, but she's taken up knitting now, and she keeps getting frustrated, and I say, I still have the slippers that my mom knit for me when I was 19 years old. I've repaired them and repaired them and repaired them. This is a meaningful thing for you to make for your children and your grandchildren. 
So you ask, is there something that individuals can do, like bicycle? All of these little things are really good, and they're good for more than just the impact that they have on not having emissions. They're good because of the story that it tells. They're good because of the example that it gives. They're, and that's the same thing with the with the with the depave uh, paradise here in, in Peterborough. It's probably not making a difference in in a substantial way by itself, but it gets people together in a community. It gets people working together on something where they can see the results and be participating and really feel like they're part of us, part of something bigger. And maybe it'll convince them to move on and run for politics and do something really good. Sure. Now, what about the way we design our city and how we enable growth uh, of our, I mean, Peterborough will grow. The population of Ontario and Canada is growing. So, um, but how do we how do we manage this growth? Uh, the the options seem to be more and more new subdivisions uh, gobbling up uh, fertile farmland. Like, how does the official the current official plan? And uh, I realize it's being reviewed, of course. Uh, how does the uh, current official plan review fit into this discussion? What could we do on the planning field to be more effective. Okay, All right. Okay, so this is Tricia. The official plan also needs to be updated to the new information that just came out in October by the IPCC to... Um, requiring all new subdivisions and housing to be built with all new 2019 green technology to be off the grid as much as possible, um, uh, to reduce uh, carbon fuel emissions as much as possible, um, and incorporate the solar panels. Um, in every new residential housing and municipal building development in Peterborough, if they were required to install solar panels um, by legislation, it would alleviate Hydro One problems, delivering enough power to the province, alleviate the need for more coal-fired plants, nuclear power plants, importing electricity, reducing carbon fuel emissions, lowering the cost of electricity, encourage homeowners with older homes to have them installed, and take advantage of any programs that might come up, hopefully, um, stimulate the solar po- power industry and create new jobs, and the city needs to apply for funding from the Liberal government for this. The Conservative government, or the, the Conservative we provincial, have to, we have to figure out uh, the federal. Pass yeah. the provincial government and go right. directly to the Liberal. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, they, they, actually, Win has an, a pretty good climate change plan that we could follow. If we look, if you go online and look at her plan, and the Liberals stand behind that as, <coughs> as a federal government, you know, each municipality can can ask for funding for some of those things in that plan. Right, of course, that plan that isn't plan operative. Is no longer, yeah. But that's that's yeah. a liberal plan. So I think I think there's ways that you can can go through the back door and, and try your best to get funding. Sure, uh, Guy. So, uh, Bill, you asked what what can what can the how can the official plan be changed? Well, at the open session where they had, I think they called it a charrette. Yes, in June. Yeah. Many many. Uh, citizens came to give their opinion about how things could be changed, how we could have greater infill, how we could stop developing Lily Lake and start developing downtown. There was a lot of that. And my sense at that meeting was that, for the most part, city staff were behind that. They wanted to be able to do that. And I sensed that they they felt thwarted 
by the previous administration, the previous politicians in this organization. At one point when I was talking to somebody from Vancouver, and I was saying, how did you get to be so good out here in Vancouver? And the lady said, you just got to elect the right politicians. Well, we have elected the right politicians now. Now we need to get them to really move. We really need to lean on them, not lean on them, work with them. <laughs> work with them to get these things actually implemented. And we have to work with them to, in, to, to, to dream big. To dream bigger than what we've got in the in the in the plan today. The, the plan today is nowhere near adequate. We need to be dreaming big. Peter, uh, part of that dream involves intensification for residential and commercial properties. I was really I went to uh, my mom's hometown in southern Germany about five years ago, and one thing I was struck by was that my cousin, who's about fifty fifty five years old, had been living in the same two bedroom apartment with. Uh, two kids, his wife and himself, for about 20 years. And this, despite the fact that he was making really good money, I, I would guess the equivalent of 70000 to to $100,000 a year. He could have owned a house if he wanted to, but the mentality over there is to live in apartments if it's well-maintained. We have the wrong attitude toward public housing here. It's almost all for low-income people, and they're not maintained properly. Uh, so they're not desirable for pe- for other people uh, to move into, um, and that's a fault of the of the city, I would say, for not putting enough money into it. We know there's a shortage right now. We should be investing in apartment style accommodation that we can put close to downtown. I mean, there's lots and lots of empty spaces in downtown Peterborough that could be developed without taking more precious farmland outside of the city. We also have to think differently about accommodation. Uh, I mean, I, for the first, I, and I'm going to sound like a little bit of a hypocrite when I say this, but for the first time in my life, I have a uh, detached house in Peterborough, and that's been, that's like a total luxury. I love it so much, but that's definitely not the future. Mm. People can't afford detached houses. That's why there was such a ruckus about the development proposed over by the the lift lock. Uh, all those new homes are going to start at four hundred and fifty or five hundred thousand uh, dollars a piece. Who can afford those except, you know, uh, I guess retired people and uh, uh, re- professionals? Um, we need a lot more accommodation for uh, the bulk of the population, and the key is that it it's uh, attractive to live in as well as uh, contributing to the densification, so we don't have to pay for extra services. So, right. Peter, Peter, what are you going to say when to the politicians when they say we can't afford it? <laughs> we say Jen. rewrite the budget. Start <laughs> off your budget by saying what do we need to do to build uh, a, an ecologically sound, socially sound city. That goes first in the budget. Then as you're building out the other things that you need, you say, how do we make sure that we um, finance these things in a way that they all synergize together? As I mentioned right at the beginning, if you build your new um, affordable housing to be net zero and uh, – employ the local people and make your city uh, um, a shining example, then all some of the other things that you need to do with your budget will start to come to, to be. Now, start with it. 
Peter, I just wanted to add one thing to that in terms of what Guy asked me about affording it. This is the craziest question, and I know he meant it facetiously. The craziest question get, that gets asked about addressing climate change is how can we afford it? How can we not? Exactly. How can we not afford it if we want to live in a, de- in a world that's habitable? Uh, it's the most insane way to look at it. Of course, money is important. You have to raise the money. But this transition that we're going to undergo is not, uh, is not going to be painless. It can't be because it has to be so dramatic. And the, the idea that we're being told that it can be painless by the government collecting uh, uh, money from carbon pricing and then giving it right back to people, I think that is a really false way of thinking. It's politically palatable, but a lot of that money should be going into funding the transition that will fund education of oil and gas and coal workers, uh, that will fund retrofitting, uh, that will fund all the things that we need to do to create a greener community. We're going to have to pay for it, and those who can afford to pay for it should pay more to do it. It's uh, so interesting what you're saying, Peter. I, I remember talking with my my mother years ago. Uh, she lived through the Depression, and uh, she said, you know, none of us, you know, everyone was on short income. You know, I was a freelance artist. Your father was a you know, civil servant on a low wage. Then the war came along, and everyone suddenly had money. <laughs> So, uh, with that, uh, se- I'm, I'm not sure I get what you mean, Bill. <laughs> well, it, money suddenly arrived, and people had if jobs. If we can finance course, a war, yes. then we can finance a transition transition to a low carbon economy. This is a global war. It is a war. Well, sorry for being so dense. Uh, <laughs> it is a war. <laughs> so. Um, Several of us, I know, Gee, you were there, and Peter, I think you were there too. There was a meeting at uh, Drew Monkman's place a few weeks ago, and the topic was essentially how can we get people to care? Like, the, you know, this is serious. The, the uh, IPCC report had just come out, and it, it got me reflecting on each winter, probably all of us, or well, many of us, um, take in the Reframe Film Festival at the end of January, and it leaves me both inspired and depressed. Uh, there's so many actions to take, and in the end, uh, of course, I don't do enough. Um, but how can we as a community increase the uptake on the powerful films and other media presented to us at, at things like Reframe? Because uh, you come out of that gung-ho, you know, charge charge the, the enemy, and then regular schedule takes over, and it becomes, yeah, well, maybe. So, yeah, one of the things that came out of that meeting at Drew's place was how do we talk to people who aren't already engaged and I've, uh, we've all, I think, done quite a bit of thinking about what we can do that's better than what we do today, which is, you know, preach at, preach at people who already believe. And I was lucky, I was at, um, at, that, uh, at Cam Douglas's class, and Stephen Hill came by, and he showed a little video, and the video said how it was showed in five minutes how to talk to people about climate change. And basically it says, don't talk, listen. So ask them, ask the question, what worries you about climate change? Mm-hmm. What do you think about climate change? And you listen to what they have to say. And if somebody says, I don't think climate change is happening, you maybe you give up. But you, you, you get a chance, at least, if you listen and listen and listen. And I encourage everybody to go and find that, uh, that video. It's been floating around. I've had a couple of people send an email back to me after I send it out with, uh, 
with, with, with I sent out a link to it on YouTube. It's really powerful. It's a really powerful way. Sure, if you send it to me. Other people. Other people who aren't hmm. already believers. Yeah. And the way to do it is to ask. We can post it with the podcast. If the other know. thing is um, that the low carbon clean economy is really cool. It's shiny. It gives you a chance to do really cool things. And, and people are making money. Yeah. <laughs> I suggest that maybe, uh, Bill, you would like to uh, have some focus programs where you bring in some of these clean economy entrepreneurs and talk yes. about the great stuff. that it, It's just on the edge of blossoming right out there. And if we just – well, I think people need to develop a, um, a vision of this – how nice it could be. Uh, it's not all about not doing stuff. It's about doing stuff that really feels good and looks good and does the right thing. Now, I mean, is, is it not true that uh, on an international level, the, the Germans, the Danes, uh, the Swedes, to some extent, the Chinese are eating our lunch in the sense of taking business away because they're, they're producing in terms of the green economy? Uh, yep. Solar panels, uh, alternative energy, tidal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and in Denmark, they've got something like 150 or 200 dollars a ton as their carbon price hasn't killed their economy. They got great employment, and they're putting up solar panels all over the place. Yes, just a, and they've got a cleaner place for it. There are fewer people probably dying of, of uh, congestion from breathing automobile fumes. You know, in thinking about that, uh, the meeting at, at Drew's uh, several weeks ago. It seems that one of the curses that Peterborough labors under is that we're in this charmed little bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, shorter winters, I'm not complaining. I mean, less cross-country skiing, but, you know, that's fine. Lower heating bills, that's fine. Longer growing seasons, more food at the uh, farmer's market, great. Um, you, you know, we're we're not like the uh, people in Miami losing neighborhoods to rising sea levels. You know, real estate values are going down there. You know. So you're saying we're going to be the next Florida? <laughs> no, I'm saying we're, we're, we're protected from so much of this. And it's hard to, you know, other people's pain happens somewhere else. It doesn't happen here in Peterborough. I was uh, talking to the fellow who was standing behind me uh, in the voting line uh, at the municipal election, and he had come in from outside the city and was telling me that his farm got no rain this summer Hmm. because there's pockets around the county where the various ways the wind goes results in there being no rain there. Now, he's never had that happen before. So... It is true that there's a, a sort of bubble, like you mentioned, but we're also I, uh, feeling these pinches um, in different parts of our community, and we should find those out and let people express what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Show and then come together as a community to deal with it. People are afraid to use the word climate change. They don't like it. It has a negative com- connotation. They'd rather talk about the economy and everything else. And it's not being used enough. The word climate change is not being used on the weather network when they announce uh, record-breaking uh, floods and wildfires uh, because they are sponsored and funded by, funded by the fossil fuel industry. Um, and the, I've sent them letters. Uh, you know, more letters have to be sent. But media has – there has to be like uh, – <coughs> Um, a media uh, that has to be on the news, it has to be um, set at the city council the word has to be everywhere it has to be on everybody's mind 
and and not and people can't be afraid of it. They have to deal with it. Th- then there are the words that are that get quietly retired, like tar sands. Right. Like it's now oil sands. Well, no, it's. <laughs> Barack Obama called them tar sands. So, I mean, that's good enough. <laughs> so I, I think we're kind of lucky here in Peterborough in terms of the media. The, the corporate uh, people who control the media may not be so so positive about it, but the people at Checks TV really have bought into this climate change thing. They, they're calling us up. They're actually... giving a a face to climate change. They called me up and Drew both to talk about about the fact that in Peterborough this summer, we had 23 days over 30 degrees as opposed to the usual average of 6. They Hmm. called us. They said, is this because of climate change? And of course the answer is, yes, it is. It's because of climate change. So I, I think we're lucky. We've got them. I don't... I, when I moved to this city uh, six years ago, I don't think the words climate change had ever probably appeared on the front page. But shortly afterwards, after about two years, I remember the day that climate change showed up in big, giant, bold letters on the front page of the Peterborough Examiner. I said, that's progress. This is progress. Ten years ago, when I was looking for stuff, you had to look and search and search and Mm -hmm. go everywhere looking for stuff about climate change. It's there. And now, instead of talking about, is it happening? Is it real? Are we doing it? We're talking about, is a carbon tax the right way? Or is legislation the right way. This is where we need to be. We just need to move faster. We're, yeah, it's going slowly. But the, the interesting thing is that at the uh, mayor, mayoral uh, debate, there was not one question asked to um, either candidate about climate change um, in, in any of our elections. So um, I, I actually had to call them each and interview them and ask them five questions on uh, how, what they felt about it. And now I have the answers, so now I can follow up with the mayor that got in and the mayor that didn't we I think we should also involve some of his answers in uh, in in uh, in Diane Terrian's uh, environmental advocacy group um, a lot of these people that didn't get in um, that were interested in climate change um, they can all participate in the environmental advocacy group that uh, Diane Terrian has in mind to uh, to create All right. Now, in terms of our consumer behavior, uh, our choices, our waste, our spending, I mean, we could, not not, not to invoke a sermon here, uh, these things are important. And yet, locally in Peterborough, what can be done about that? So here we go. I'm going to tell another family story. I was, I, Please. I, was talking to my God. I love it. I love my family. My family is so great. I'm so impressed. My kids are the ones who keep me on my toes. But my daughter said to me, yeah, Dad, we, in our family, we've just gone veg- vegetarian. After I read that IPCC report, I decided I'm just going vegetarian. She's making an exception. Apparently, salmon is going to become an honorary vegetable for her. <laughs> but she, she, feels she, she feels she needs to feed her daughter. Wow. But that's one thing that everybody can do. Everybody, And if you can't go complete, just give an honorary salmon as an honorary vegetable. Or just... Be vegetarian on Mondays or Tuesdays or something like that. We can all do that. And then there will be just a few fewer molecules going up into the air. Start with red meat if it's a problem, right? And even, you're right, Peter. Just change from red meat to chicken, and you're making a big difference. Right. Now, what about making the business case, and I mean this locally for Peterborough, for our economy, making the business case for uh, green technology, for environmental uh, you know, cleanup, conservation... What seems to be missing is 
the fact that in other places and other jurisdictions, people are making money doing this. Like it's becoming part of the economy in places like Germany and Denmark and so on. What can we do here to kickstart that? So to convince uh, business people, investors, uh, maybe through our own actions, that there's money to be made here, that this is a viable, this is not some tree, hu- tree hugger fantasy. This is actually. Well, let's, let's have a free market in energy to begin with. We don't have one right now. Oil and gas is heavily subsidized by government. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, I think uh, there there are billions of dollars to be made in the renewable sector, um, and the more investment there is in renewables, the cheaper it will be for businesses to meet their heating and cooling needs. I mean, just imagine if once we get really efficient solar panels, that's happening already, you have a one-time cost of uh, construction, and then you don't have to feed it anything. The sun is free. Same goes for the wind. You have these one-time costs, and as this technology becomes uh, better, more efficient, uh, the energy itself is going to be free. That's the way that they should be thinking about it rather than waiting to the last minute and being forced to change. Or what's going to happen ultimately because the market for oil, oil and gas is going down uh, is that to sustain those businesses, we're going to have to pay higher and higher prices for it if we uh, lag behind in moving to renewables. Key. And Peter, you, you've forgotten to mention that one of the ways that we're going to, mm-hmm. one of the things we're going to have to do after we've got solar panels or while we're putting the solar panels on the roof, we're going to have to have local control over our local distribution company. We're going to have to buy back BDI in order to be able to do this. Can you imagine trying to approach Hydro One and saying, hey, I just put a solar panel on my house and I'd like to sell you some electricity. Yeah, thanks, Guy. That's really great. PDI. With PDI, at least we have a chance to be able to set up a local economy and be able to have a local, locally supplied energy source. Now, we still own the generation side of PDI, correct? Correct. Yes, that, that's correct. We yeah. still own okay. the generation part. We could we could make more of it. I, I don't know if you remember, but the the, the uh, conservative government when they came into power canceled the construction of three hydro dams yes. along the Otonabi River, which was it's not a huge thing, but every little thing like that helps. It's one more addition to the subtraction of molecules. Well, you know, we may generate our own energy here, but we don't have the means to distribute it. And that's what's being given up here. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, put much faith in Hydro One's, uh, uh, generosity in letting us use their lines for our energy when they have their own sources of energy they want to distribute. Right on, Peter. Right. Now, what about the politics of all of this? Um, what, what do we sense the wind, how are the winds blowing? I, I know in the, I mean, John, you made the point that during the municipal, or no, Tricia, you made the point during the municipal action, there wasn't much discussion of that. Um, in the last provincial election, uh, you know, I, I don't sense it was a front burner issue. Um, and uh, in the last federal election here, um, it didn't play at all. Now I'm hearing more, at least on a federal level, uh, sensing more of this going on. And I know Peter. You've well, been they involved. changed the leader debate uh, rules, so yeah, right. <laughs> so you'll have a green leader debating, so that you won't be able to avoid the concept anymore. No, but the, the Kinder Morgan issue, for example, now that has some profile. It didn't four years ago. Well, that's a big can of worms with five minutes to go, but I, 
I think uh, you're certainly on to something, Bill. Uh, our politicians like to say what they think we'll like them to say, and they don't follow through on their promises. The Liberal government has broken some big promises that are important to us, uh, starting with proportional representation. That was really crushing for me and a lot of people that I know. So when the Prime Minister talks about initiating his uh, climate plan, uh, for uh, January this year. I'm very suspicious, and I think we need to apply a lot of pressure on them to do what they say they're going to do. And that pressure should begin right here at home. Uh, our MP, Maria Monsef, has, to my knowledge, not done anything related to climate change for our community, uh, nothing at all. Uh, we don't expect Dave Smith to do much, but he's going to be pressured to do it. We have to put a lot of pressure on these politicians not only to follow through with their actions, but to come up with plan, the necessary plans to address the IPCC report, uh, which means the plan to save our future, to save our children's futures. Okay, we're just about winding down. Is there anything else you'd like to leave listeners with as we close out here? Yeah. Trisha? talked about transportation, um, public oh. transportation, and I think that's really an important part of the carbon fuel emission uh, piece for the municipality um, to do something quickly. Um, just getting here from, I live near Fleming College, um, I considered taking a city bus. Would have been over an hour and 15 minutes as yeah. a 10-minute drive. Crazy. Um, the, the bus system is not geared for people's convenience at all. It's, 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 and um, the, there is a model, and one one thing that did come up at the at the debate with the mayor um, was um, the night before the debate, um, there was a piece on um, I think it was T, uh, TVO, Belleville, Ontario's new bus system that Diane Terry was very interested in, um, where there's apps, smaller buses. So our buses now, the other pieces that they, they're not full, they don't they don't go uh, as quickly to places as you'd like. And this new uh, Belleville system has an app system, and we can do the same thing here. So um, this this is a pilot project, but it's it's a very uh, a much more efficient system. So there's lots of things that can be done. Okay, geek. Okay. You know, we could. That's great. We could have more of them and smaller buses, and they could be electric. Electric yeah. buses exist now. You can get battery powered buses. They run all day. You plug them in the garage overnight, and you recharge them. Right. Right. Last words, Peter. And I'll follow that theme as well. Uh, buses and transportation in general has to be changed from what we do. We need a public transit system that's affordable and readily accessible. Many cities around uh, in Europe and I think in the states starting to are starting to make public transportation free. I don't know why that's such a strange concept for people, but if you want to get people out of their cars, give them an incentive. A free bus would do that for many people. Gian, last word. <laughs> so the low carbon economy is shiny and new, and it really is a great way to live. Okay. And with that, uh, I'd like to uh, extend thanks to Trisha Clarkson, Jan Broughton, Peter Morgan, Guy Hanget. Thanks so much for making the time to come by and, and, and join in. Uh, before I sign off, our schedule for next week will be uh, holding a panel on revitalizing downtown and in two weeks we'll be talking about practical actions we can take to encourage growth in the arts community. So please join us again every Tuesday at 9 here on Trent Radio, 92.7 FM on your dial. And if you miss us on the radio, you can download the podcast the next day, Pints and Politics, p2bopodcaster.ca. Until next week, this is Bill Templeman.